Hello, welcome to uh, Ripple Effect. I'm Richard Hewson here with the usual gang of suspects. And our guests for this talk are Krista Gorman and Ainsley Threadgold. That is a wonderfully British name. <laughs> and you'll see by his accent, he lives up to it as well. We've been talking about kinds of things that hold us back in our lives. Um, ideas, wishes, hopes, and dreams that we would have. And when we get close to them, we sometimes find a way of uh, avoiding them somehow or, or getting into them and feeling like, whoa, I'm not, I'm not quite ready to actually take this on. I don't feel uh, prepared or worthy. Most, uh, most often is I think worthy is the problem. Uh, so we're going to start with that and see where we go. And Bruce has offered to start. He's got some something to say. I guess we'll listen to him instead of me now. Go, Bruce. Well, okay. Well, Ainsley, I, I think you had mentioned earlier uh, about being being brought up, and, uh, and a lot of times men are brought up to be uh, avoiding their emotions, to to not showing emotion or expressing emotion and I guess perhaps if you're if you're raised by a, a strong father who does not show emotion except for anger or you know just withdrawn um, that that's the way you're taught to behave I could see that and by being that way you're not really um, living in your emotions you're not ex able to express your emotions which could have a profound impact on your life, the, the, the path of your life. Um, and it almost, it, it strikes me that, that it, as a human being, if you're truly being authentic and living yourself fully authentically, then you would be living your emotions. And I just wondered, I just wondered if that makes sense to you that, that, that suppression of emotion kind of gets you away from being your authentic self. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, for, for me personally, uh, my father had been brought up in um, quite interesting circumstances. Um, his real father was a lot older than his mother. Um, he was in his late 50s or maybe even early 60s, we're not sure. Um, he was a very successful architect um, and was very well renowned, um, had written books and, and things like this. He was still married when uh, he met um, my dad's mum and they never got married. So first of all, you have this, um, you know, child who is, a, who is a bastard child because his father and mother aren't married and it's out of wedlock. Um, and then he has a brother and a sister, um, that relationship does what it does and, and he then uh, leaves and then uh, my dad's mum meets the person that, that I would eventually call granddad who also had children, had three sons uh, and they were just thrown together as a eclectic mix of uh, families. So there's six kids um, in this house uh, and my father's relationship with his mother was very strained. Um, you know, just, just with the way that she was and I can imagine having to cope with six kids, um, you know, it was very difficult, but he, it made him um, very difficult uh, of a person to be. Uh, he was very uncomfortable in his own skin. Um, it was even things like, um, 
when he was born, uh, he had to have an operation to um, be circumcised because the, the skin was too tight. Um, but he, even, even as an adult, uh, would wake up and would be uh, jumping on the bed because he was afraid that um, he was going to get cut by the glass that was in the bed and things like this. And this was an outpouring of uh, an emotional state that he wasn't, um, at those times in childhood, uh, mature enough to understand. So that then sort of filtered into the way that he, uh, he was, which was a case of um, he never showed any real emotion uh, in relation to, um, you know, if he was upset, he would never know. Um, silly things like remembering that I um, had fallen over and, and quite badly cut my leg. Um, my mum probably would have taken me to have it looked at and um, taken me to get, get it stitched up because it needed stitches. But my dad just um, put some uh, washing up liquid in it, cleaned it off and told me to get out. You know, you're okay, go away. Um, and when I was in my early 20s, I was 20, 21, uh, 2021, I started to have problems with my appendix. And um, I was in a lot of pain. I was the, probably the most pain I remember being in. Um, and rather than call an ambulance or take me to the hospital, he took me to the doctors, um, you know, the, the local GP. Um, and it was, it was that sort of thing where um, most of the people's reaction, not that it needed to be um, full of um, sort of fervor and oh my goodness me and throwing his arms around and, and, and crying in tears. It was just a case of, it was almost like automatic, well, I'll just take it here and that's it. Um, and again, um, you know, sort of, there was no real emotions there. I, I, I knew that he loved my, my brother and I, and he did a lot for us, he used to read his stories and, uh, and that side of things for, for being a fun dad, he was quite fun, but there was also that side of him that he just couldn't share. I didn't really know how he felt about his upbringing until um, I was in my late thirties. Um, we had a conversation and that wasn't long before I came out here. So, you know, I, I didn't really get to know him emotionally until then. And even then it was still quite sort of distant in relation to what he shared. And then I realized that uh, a lot of that had then filtered down to me and to my brother to a certain extent um, in the ways that I would want to um, try and try deal or not deal with things. Um, you know, I found it was easier uh, and easier just not to say anything um, and just to remain stoic and hold it all in than actually express what was going on. Um, my previous marriage, that one of the reasons that broke down was because I didn't speak. I didn't talk about how I felt. Um, my ex-wife was obviously very frustrated and she wanted to express and wanted to talk about things. She actually at one point asked me to, to just show emotion, get angry with me, shout at me, do something. And I just couldn't bring myself to. Um, and then that filters on to what we were discussing before we started recording about this fear of success and, you know, fear of expressing myself, um, you know, fear of actually being able to look at myself in the mirror and, and see myself properly. Um, fear of even getting dressed on my own without being under a towel. And then that filtering into uh, my daily life with what I wanted to do and what I was willing, what I was willing at the time to achieve. You know, I eventually got to, uh, achieving what I wanted to achieve in a roundabout way. I you know, became a police officer and I'd, I always wanted to do that, but there was always something within my life that uh, was always uh, personally holding me back until I um, got to the stage where something needed to change 
um, and it did. And I was taken on this journey in the last probably six or seven years of being me um, investing time in myself and really getting to know who I am, um, looking at myself in the mirror and seeing not just this, this skin suit, but also the soul inside. Um, and that's and that's probably one of the um, things that I was most afraid of, which was actually getting to know the real me, um, and being okay with that, and being okay with um, looking at myself in the mirror and saying, "Yeah, I actually like that guy. I, you know, I, I sort of cherish being me, and I like being me, as opposed to always being in my head and thinking about being someone different. Or if I, if only I could go back and change this, then this would be different." And that's what I'd used to do a lot. And now it's like, no, because everything that I'd, everything that has happened has brought me to this point and I wouldn't be sat here with this wonderful lady tonight if I'd have changed anything. So, you know, if there's a sort of um, a message there, it, it is that uh, whether we like it or not, sometimes we do succeed. And it's a case of, it's not so much a case of um, uh, being able to walk the path. Um, we're all able to walk the path. It's how we do it. So do we do it in a, in a light sense whereby we're happy to do it and we know that we can succeed and we know that we can get around these obstacles or do we struggle and still get to the same place but in a completely different fashion? One of the things I found for me with having all these failures in life is how much I've learned from it and they're and after some amount of time, have been able to, to teach from that, from what I've learned in all of that. It's, uh, it's kind of like the, the old thing about um, children's tales, which stories that are now children's tales used to be, as I understand it, actual teachings, mm. uh, spiritual and psychological teachings, that that which is your early uh, difficulty becomes your strength later on. Uh, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer is an um, excellent example of that. What he was always picked on becomes the thing he does well with. And I see that happen in my life uh, with clowning and with just being able to talk to people and relate to what they're going through. Since I've, I've had enough experience now by pushing 70 that I've had a lot of things occur and I've tripped myself up and and uh, caused myself a lot of problems but I've learned a lot from it and that now all that huge background is useful to me uh, to go forward with and try it now it's it's kind of like oh now I'm ready to start living <laughs> kind of the feeling of it. Yeah, I, and what's coming to me when hearing you talk, hearing Ingley talk, is that, you know, I'm kind of reflecting also simultaneously on my own sort of journey, physical journey here. And it's like, you know, there's certain things that, that, that we want in life, goals that we set, many goals sort of. The next few years, you know, I'm going to do this thing and then that'll bring me to the next thing, hopefully, and then you know, from there, we'll see what happens. And then along the way, sometimes that gets modified a little bit, but, but, you know, we achieve it and then we move on to the next thing. And all the while we're growing into who we are. And along with that comes the 
you know, we're, we are born into this world. We come from this amazing place of, of divine love and, and, and state of being into this crunched into this physical body and then pushed out into the world, you know, and, and now we're cold, we were warm and like cozy, you know, and now we're freezing and, and what's this light thing, this fake light and, you know, so, and from that point, you know, we've gone undergone a transformation and now we're in this 3D world where, where ego is, is the predominant force at the moment. And well, it can, it can be that way. It can seem that way. And depending on your immediate group of humanoids that you're with, you know, you're picking up as a little being, you're picking up on the energy from all the people around you and absorbing it. And, you know, not thinking necessarily that it's you, but as we get older, we begin to think that these things are because of us, you know, and then we grow to realize, oh, well, maybe, you know, not everything is not everything that happens is because of me, but yet we have all this experience behind us saying that it, that it does. And then we've got to heal from that. And we're, but at the same time, you know, we're carrying that with us as we move through our life and, and setting our goals and all this stuff is happening simultaneously. And, you know, the bottom line for me is that I can I can only achieve in life what it is that I believe I can achieve. And my belief is a reflection of self-love. And my self-love is a reflection of self-care, you know, the people that are are that I choose to be in my life around me um, that I'm constantly interacting with. And I can I can either thwart my dreams to minimize myself, diminish myself and live life in a way that is, it may be, you know, partially pleasing to me, but definitely pleasing to other people and therefore maintain this, this harmonious environment. Or I can say, actually, no, I want to do this thing over here. And these people may not be very happy with it, but that can't matter. It can only matter how I feel about it. That's ultimately what really matters. Um, and that's, that's what is what helps grow more love in the world is something you know, seemingly simple like that, making a choice like that of choosing yourself first and loving yourself because we invariably grow in more love and more self-love and that gets radiated out into the world and it becomes a more loving place if only you know this much by that much great conversation so far Ainsley first of all thank you very much for beginning this open dialogue right this is not very characteristic of a bunch of men doing and we've done it on this show many times in terms of role modeling, open candid kind of conversation too. And the conversation has been really helpful uh, for me. It's a passion of mine uh, because it's been something that I had to deal with. It sounds like many of us have had. And my life's work is, has been a large part is really attempting to 
understand it so that I can better help it. And I guess that's the educator in me uh, looking to be able to help train others, which has been a lot of my inspiration and goal as an educator in corporate America. But what I find is, is that, you know, we've all somewhat related it to the past and it's a psych psychological aspect or study of self that really to me helps to really describe, you know, this source, this beginning that leads us to what I would say is the ultimate sort of division uh, between people and it's the victim nature versus the victor nature. And what is it that really results in this real epidemic victim? I know when working with people and meeting people, there's so many people who really don't even have the goals yet, Krista, like you have, right? They don't even know, they don't feel worthy of the goals. They feel beyond them because they're missing some real basics. And to me, that's something I could relate to because of the background you know, similar to Ainsley, for me, it was a very traumatic, very abusive kind of uh, connection with my father, who was the primary abuser. And he uh, was equal opportunity to every family member, uh, my mom and, and all of us. And, and we also walked out in life really, you know, uh, having a lot of issues, is to say the least. And, and the common denominator amongst that was self-esteem. There was no self-esteem. There was low self-esteem at best. And when you, when you grow up with the adage being said to you repeatedly, Mike, you'll never amount to anything. You know, you're a waste, you're a disaster, so on and so forth. Um, you know, you become to believe it. That's a lot of childhood psychologically, we build our core beliefs uh, for much of our life in those formative years. So by the time we're seven years old, we have really got the drift in terms of our perspective and outlook on life. And that plays out in this self-fulfilling prophecy as we leave, as it did me, went out in life. And, and I just I didn't believe I had, I wore all of the facades and masks, uh, uh, mask grades to, to really go out there and try to demonstrate that I was like everybody else when inside, I was like that classic duck on water on the surface and look calm underneath I with the water I was paddling I held to just stay afloat. And, and that's when the, the pain finally came to a point of which it was too much. And like my brother, my brother experiencing the same situation, committed suicide. Uh, and that was really the nature of what we all experienced. And so what was it that changed that? What was it? And I know that I went through that experience and I've since realized for a lot of people, it's that conscious choice. And even though we don't recognize it as conscious yet, we make that choice to really go out and get help. And then we begin that process of recovery, of healing. You see that in the 12 step programs, anybody that's really been battered, abused, growing up in abuse, trauma, whatever the source of it may be, there's that common denominator in terms of having to really heal the past. And then from the healing, then starts to come the process of beginning to reprogram ourselves, And it's that programming that changes us from, or helps to identify the unhealthy code. If you think of it like software program, right? Bad code in the system will always generate bad problems or defects. Right? And so that's what happens with us. The bad code in effect is the unhealthy beliefs that I am not worthy. I'm never gonna to amount to, uh, to anything. I'm not good enough, right? And that belief, as you come to find, attitudes and beliefs is what drives our behavior, 
which is then results in our consequences. And then it becomes that self-fulfilling prophecy. So in my particular case, never amount to anything, do anything. So I get a job, I get fired. See, I'll never amount to anything. So the consequence fed back the attitude and belief, I'll never amount to anything. And it kept on cycling until I was able to stop, begin to heal the past, and then start receiving the instruction this fortunately was a great counselor that I had uh, that really allowed me to start beginning to use affirmations and other things to start building back up that self-esteem. And then once that self-esteem started to develop, I started to really begin to build myself back. And then it was still, I would say, a period of three or four years of, of that recovery aspect that was, first of all, just being stable living with myself, beginning to like that person in the mirror, and all of those things. I went to an intensive workshop. Uh, it was called Chit Chat. Uh, and it was where we voluntarily locked ourselves into a center uh, of which was filled with other counselors uh, to really deal with the fact that what we had in common is we were so out of touch with our emotions. And as was I, and Ainsley, you brought that up. And that's the first thing really to go for many, right? They learn to stuff it, deny it. Others, uh, others experience similar things can also become very angry people, violent people. And unfortunately, that's why the studies show that 75% growing up in dysfunctional family typically either end up you know, in jail, arrested, or in some kind of a violent act that can really obviously alter their life. And so, I went there just to learn how to get in touch with it. And I'll never forget it. It was the experience of being handed a Nerf bat and being coached from the side of with this person who knew my past, knew my life, sort of egged me on talking about, okay, you're being hit again. How does that feel? Absolutely, okay, you know, just literally as if you, you said that word stoic. Uh, then to that point of which I started to come out. Well, it was, I'll never forget that time because as it was for me, it was for everybody there, it was as if a volcano erupted. And all that came out for a period of days was intense anger, you know, that it had to the years of abuse. And thank God I was in a setting like that that allowed me to be able to deal with it in a healthy way versus being out on the street. And that's why I can understand why so much violence occurs. But in essence, zooming ahead, as I dealt with those stages, you know, that's what ultimately led to have the self-esteem begin to start developing the positive beliefs through affirmations, belief in myself, that then began to start launching a whole new phase of my life, which began the questions is, what do I want to do with my life? What do I want to be in life? But before I could ever get there, I really had to deal with the, the dirt, the muck, the negativity, the unhealthy beliefs in effect that was in me that was holding me back. I mean, I didn't even think of success, much less having goals to really strive there. Today, I really work a lot in with people in this capacity, both voluntarily as well as related to my job. Uh, and it's epidemic today, right? Just how many people are back in that early setting of dealing with the strife of a bad background that's holding them back 
from success. The amazing thing is, is I myself am, am a success story. Richard is a success story. Ainsley, you're a success story. Is, is that we become an inspiration to others because we've been there. And Richard, I think you said it so well. We learn to be able to speak the language with others because we've been there. So anyway, sorry to, 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 to take some time there, but it's a very passionate topic. And it's the thing of which I've come to understand is really first understanding what's the root cause in this? What is the thing? And very often it's a factor of somebody's past that needs to be dealt with and healed. And then a structured process very often to get there. Ainsley, hats off to you. You were able to find that way on yourself, but it took the cost of a marriage. For me, it took the cost of two marriages, you know, before I really started to understand what I was doing. So leave it at that. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, no, it's very much appreciated because um, you're able to share from a perspective where you are now the observer of everything you've come to be. Um, and you've had that experience where you were allowed to use the deities that um, are our emotions, you know, and they are to be um, sort of admired as deities. Uh, and I think it's uh, PMA Chapwater that um, described them as that. And, um, you know, using emotions is great. It's just a case of how long we use them for. So it's a case of it's okay to be angry because as you described the volcano, it's okay to do that because it allows a release of energy. It's just a case of staying angry then um, changes the dynamic. Um, it's okay to be sad, but staying sad changes the dynamic. It's the vibration, isn't it? Um, you know, and even I suppose to some extent being happy. Um, it's, it's a release of energy. And once the energy is cleared, then it's, it's that time to be uh, nice and calm and level. Um, and, you know, coming to that point, however you get there, whether it's through um, intensive therapy like that, whether it's for, uh, with me, it was a case of I had a choice and an opportunity to change. And I, and I did so because there was something that I wanted. I wanted to be more of me. Uh, I wanted to learn how that felt. Um, and to do that, the, the sort of goal for me, really, and the, and the prize at the end was, like I said before, sitting with this wonderful lady here. You know, it was a call. Um, you know, she gave me the call to action, which is, are you ready? And I, I remember um, having that particular uh, text in our uh, conversations that we were having in, in our early days. And it's a case of, am I ready? Am I really ready to be able to do the work for myself and look at myself and say, yes, this is for me. And also have uh, the ability to then grow with someone else. Um, if I'd have just done it for, for Krista, then I would still be um, in the same situation I was in um, because I was, yeah, I would not have gotten the point of it. So when Krista asked, was I ready? Then it was a case of, I had to honestly turn around and say yes. And that's where the work started. And it's a still, you know, work in progress, as I'm sure we can all say. You know, there's still days where we find that um, the doubts creep in. Um, but then, like anything else, he'll healing like with weather like with all sorts of things comes in cycles so i have a question um what was because we've got three success stories so far <laughs> uh, well, me what, a success. <laughs> <laughs> uh what was the what is the the um spark that um 
initiated your success as opposed to another person uh, who has gone through the same thing, who hasn't found that? Is it was there something that um, influenced? Uh, what what was the influencer? Krista was perhaps the angel that came into your life, Ainsley, um, and and that was a role and a purpose that that was fulfilled. Um, Richard or Michael, who was your angel? You know, who who was your? What was it that? let's say any of us could do for someone else, what's the model for helping another person who was in your situation? Um, I had the uh, privilege. Um, I thought I was doing quite well in life uh, when I met our common friend, Tom Sawyer. Uh, and he did something that I've seen Krista do which is when he look at you, he would see the best of you. And, and that would be a reminder that, oh, this other whole stuff is waiting. You know, this is the stuff, kind of learn that, oh, this is the valuable stuff, and this is the stuff I can actually let go of. And it was a slow process of, of, learning that because because i'm emotionally a slow learner you know other people may have learned a lot quicker but i tend to uh hang on to old stuff far longer than i really need to um so are you saying that tom was a cat was part of the catalyst for you tom was but it, i'm gonna say he was the person but it was that concept of someone seeing the best in me Someone in, in just in how he talked or, or uh, would see me higher than I saw myself. And it would be a calling to do that, to rise up. Um, he could see the potentials and he yeah. was able to get us to see those potentials. Yeah. Yeah, it was an invitation to be, be who we more authentically are rather than who we've been playing as. So and as the model, I'm sorry, for the, the model for me then would be to try and facilitate that for people around me. Who and I, I, would, I would totally agree, Tom, with that. And because with Richard, say, same common denominator with me, is his life presents the opportunities. Now I can say that, right? And now I've come to learn that. There are all of these people who serve that. For me, you know, I was in my early 30s. You know, fortunately, it was my work situation of all places that provided several individuals who really saw more in me than I saw in myself. And in particular, I call, a funny, his, his name also is Tom, uh, but his... Uh, he became, I called him my adopted dad. And he, and he actually worked for me. He was older, older than I was, but he was the person that just as Richard explained, that treated me with love. And it was the first time I had ever experienced that. First time ever. I was just used to the abuse. And that's why I really am a huge proponent, you know, and I really try to educate others and remind myself of this all of the time, is, is that 
misbehavior out there which is happening all around us for many of us turns us off we walk away or that and then we judge that that's the sign that's the sign of them saying help me help me help me right because that's where they're acting out that's where they've had that troubled past they've had those things and that belief and that's all they do know and along with that comes the opportunity and i just open myself up to it. And so much of my work are these happenstance circumstances of which there's somebody who crossed the path and all I do is, is just treat them with love and respect, not in words, but they, it's the empathy that I share and the listening. Oh, tell me about you. So what are you doing? And very often within 30 minutes or so of doing that, they'll begin in many cases to open up. And that's the real gift. When we are out there and we really have take a chance to really see the, the, the problems and the things is really as opportunities and begin to open ourselves up with that love and respect to others. It's amazing the difference it is. I have seen and heard that story so many times being in the circles of those who have really been abused, both men and women that the common denominator of what kept them from walking off the deep end of the bridge was that somebody at the right time was there, offered that empathy, that listening ear, and that form of love that really made a difference and turned their life around. And I've had several people I'm forever thankful for that were in that capacity for me. The nice thing about it is the fact that those people they know that they can't take that situation away they know that they can't change those things that have brought you to that dark space but what they can do is help you to see that you can take you, you can change and mold yourself from that point and the best example i can have uh, where i um hope i was able to help was uh, whilst policing uh, in the uk i used to help police the railway network um, and along with that was also dealing with our um, partners. There was Network Rail, which owned all of the railway throughout the whole country. Um, and they had a lot of um, sort of industry uh, along with that. And they'd have people who worked for them that, in lots of different capacities. But in um, one sense, there was people who would help to maintain the railways. And there was a particular occasion where uh, the local Network Rail depot uh, had had a, a theft of um, a large amount of a, a big large roll of copper cable and this thing was like heavy uh, and basically what had happened is there was a, a member of staff that had um, loaded a van um, that was set to go out to another part of the country the next day and took it to his uh, took it to his father's address and unloaded this um, copper roll with the help of someone else now from the uh, from one aspect you can turn around and see it that oh you know this is, this is just another one in a long line of people that are trying to take advantage of a, a system and hopefully won't get caught. Um, I was one of the officers that uh, attended and it was a case of having to arrest because that's what the policy was. Um, and having this guy in the back completely broken um, and hearing his story, uh, he in his um, late teens and early twenties had been uh, quite a successful soccer player uh, played um, sort of second and first division teams. So he was earning quite a lot of money at quite an early age. 
and it was one of these where it was like a, a lot of success far too early. Didn't really know how to cope with it. Uh, ended up with the um, token footballer's wife that uh, wanted him to make more money so she could spend more money. Um, and then through injuries, he ended up having to um, retire early from that. Um, and then met someone that uh, he, he actually loved. They had uh, kids together, but their money was so tight that they both had to have two jobs each just to even pay the bills. And there was this particular occasion where um, they wanted to take the kids on a holiday. They'd um, got a voucher out of the local paper um, to be able to take them you know, to this place for a very short amount of money, um, but they needed 50 pounds to put towards it and they didn't even have that. Um, and it was that moment where he was just that sick and tired of having to scrimp and save and not be able to provide for his kids that he made that decision. Um, to, to take this uh, copper cable. And it was based purely on feeling like uh, a failure. You know, he'd had all of this money and all of this success in his um, late teens and early 20s, and there he was in his early 30s, and he couldn't even pay for a holiday for his kids. So that was where he was at. And then, you know, with the other realisation, the fact that that had gone wrong, and, you know, he knew immediately as soon as he took it, uh, as soon as he'd taken out the van that he'd done something wrong, and that was the, uh, the karma coming back. Um, but I was able to chat to him for a while and, you know, it wasn't just a case of him um, telling me all this, but it was a case of him also talking about the things that he liked to do. So he used to like to coach football, soccer, and that's one of his passions. Um, and I sort of said, well, look, you know, this situation, you know, is untenable. It's gotten to the point now where you probably won't uh, be able to keep your job because of what you've done. However, you've got this passion. You've got this passion for teaching kids and helping kids to, to move forward within soccer. And maybe there's things that you can impart with them. So if they're successful, they're a little bit more able to handle that success than you are. So why don't you look into doing that? Why don't you look into um, the more of the coaching side of things again? And maybe there, maybe there is a, um, some sort of way for you to um, create money there and, and earn money uh, for your family instead of being in this situation where it's like, oh, well, that's it, I've, I've done, I've blown it. It's a case of, well, no, you've got potential for something else. Um, and it was that very open, frank conversation where he wasn't judged because I, I tried never to judge anyone. Um, and it was just a, a really nice way of seeing that because I was able just to see him as opposed to what he'd done, um, he was then able to open up enough for me to have the suggestion and I don't know whether he took that forward. I don't know what happened after that point. All I've got to hope is that um, maybe that was something that did set a spark for him. And, and today, maybe he's looking back on that thinking, I'm so glad that I had that happen because now look at where I am. And I can do the same thing. I'm so glad that lots of events happened in my life because look at where I am. Um, you know, and I, I genuinely wouldn't take any of those events away, even the ones where I felt like I'd been the cause of uh, pain or suffering. It's, it's a case of, it, it's only, it, it lasts with you as long as you hold it. It's like the, the burning rock, you know, people who are ready to throw rocks. If it's a burning rock, the only person getting hurt is the person holding the rock. So just let it go. Um, and I'm able to proudly say that I can uh, look back now and I'm not holding any rocks. I'm not holding any um, sort of grudges against myself. I'm just looking and saying, yeah, I'm glad that everything happened the way it happened because I'm here now. Yeah, it sounds like you, you, you can't always take responsibility for the other person, whether they use that 
but it becomes part of your nature and you'll hit some and you'll miss some and not to stop doing it because you're afraid you're you're not going to be successful or the other person's not going to take take what you've offered and done something with their life or whatever you just have to be that and if it hits it does and if it doesn't it doesn't and not let it stop you from from being the, the person that you are the, the the angel for the other person <laughs> exactly and there's the thing with uh, you, you hit the nail on the head there because you know you could uh, see success and failure based on how someone does and you want mm -hmm. to know how they've done and maybe you track it and that person then doesn't take the advice and then you know does other things and goes back to a, a way um, and by um, holding on to that you're, you're almost saying that um, you know uh, sort of it's almost like you're trying then to control the other person they have to be like this because mm -hmm. I've given them this sage advice and you know taking that away and being the observer of it and just allowing them to uh, to be in develop it might be that that's a seed that's planted that you don't know that grows into some something magnificent 50 years down the line or right. you never see them again or it might yeah. be in another lifetime um you know that that, that then uh, comes and sprouts and, and bears fruit you, and that's the magic of it is that you don't know you don't know the sagely advice you don't know whether they're going to take that or not but it's the, it's the excitement of what if what if they do take it on and i'm you know you just hold the intention that they have yeah and one of the things that i've heard from a lot of near-death experiencers um, regarding their life review is that they realize how important some of the very little things that they've done in their life that they place no importance on whatsoever and how big the, it turns out to be. And, you know, it's the little things. Yeah, it's the miracle in the mundane, the God in the, God in the little things. It's the flower that's able to somehow grow um, in, in what seemingly uh, seems to be impossible circumstances. And against all odds, it's there anyway. And it's the same as, as you've just said, you know, people like ourselves have, have had experiences where we're able to see the magnificence of that and, and are able to be given that temporary overview. Um, but, uh, you know, for anyone who hasn't, uh, who is seeking, then it is about sort of looking for something else, which gives you that inspiration. Um, it's a case of, uh, it, it might be, something that you see on modern technology with some of these um, YouTube or TikTok videos where you've got someone that shouldn't be able to do something but is able to do it anyway because they don't see that they can't do it. You know, people who are paraplegic who can um, do pull-ups and they've got their, um, they've got the wheelchair attached to them and they're doing these, doing all of these, <laughs> they've got, you know, they've got the, no legs but they're able to do um, gymnastics and it's like, that they are they are then the the spark that then well if they can do that then so can I. Yeah. Jeff, you were going to say something earlier. Um, what had crossed my mind with all of the conversations about people that had an effect, it was people that either saw whether it was consciously or unconsciously that divine spark that's in everyone. And they chose to honor that with how they responded to you. Whether that's listening, whether that's giving advice, whatever that may be. But it's someone who sees the essence or knows the essence 
of what we are and then responds to that in that situation. So in, in, in all of these cases, I can see that. It's someone who took the time to honor that divinity that's inherent in everything. And just took those moments and then, and then, and then responded to that divinity. So that's a namaste in action, isn't it? Namaste it is. Absolutely. And, and it, it's like in, in, in the context of listening, um, it's like I said in an earlier um, um, iteration of this, is that when people would come into my office and I would ask them how they are, I was probably the first person who had said that all day or maybe all week or whatever, who was actually going to sit down and listen and who was actually going to respond to how they were actually doing. I wasn't saying it as part of a conversation. I was actually interested in how they were doing. And again, it's profound. You can watch people. I used to just watch them sit down and go, ah. Oh. And then they would open up, they would talk. I tell my students that the, the body work starts first low. Uh, your, your internet was breaking up. Could you say that again, please? I said, I used to tell the students that I had that the massage or the body work session starts with the first hello. Yeah. It starts at very first interaction in, in setting that stage. Yeah, and of course, you know, the option, you know, we're given the option to do that all the time. Yeah, it, set, it sets the tone for um, the environment that they, you then create. I mean, you're talking about massage. I, I now um, do practitioner-assisted stretching. I'm the general manager of a company called, well, <laughs> one of the stores for a company called Stretch Zone. And um, I'm the first person that um, new people, prospective clients meet. So uh, it's the same thing. It's a case of, uh, if I want to endear them to this method that I know works, then it's that first impression that they get, which is the thing that tells them everything, you know, and if I'm, if I'm disingenuous and if I'm, um, you know, at all fake, then they know that. And then that's the impression that they get for the whole thing. But if I'm just genuinely me and I'm genuinely interested in, in who they are and when I say hello, I mean it. Um, then it's the same thing. It, it opens up a, an energetic dialogue where that person then maybe for the first time starts to get the help that they um, have been gearing up to get. Um, you know, it's, it's a physical therapy in the sense, but it's also a spiritual therapy because it, you then see the change in the person. They, you know, they, they come in week on week and they're able to do more things and, um, you know, they're opening up to themselves again and you know, you go from someone that didn't think they'd be able to do much, uh, even put their own socks and shoes on, to then going, oh, and guess what I started this week, and guess what I can do this week, and guess what I can do, and it's it's this thing, isn't it? And that starts from that very innate um, first uh, interaction, and it's, it's yeah, it, it's just sort of like it's, 
it's vital. Um, it's like a baby taking its first breath. You know, it's vital for life to have that first breath um, be a successful one. Um, and then there on, there on in, breathing gets easier and so does a lot of other things. So if we can make that first interaction as easy as breathing, then, you know, those people then feel as though that they can, um, you know, you, you then hope that they can um, feel that through for other things as well. And, and to come back to, you know, the idea that it's the little things that occur. Um, I remember walking into a health food store and I wasn't feeling very good. I was feeling depressed, whatever was going on. And the, the, the woman whom I had gotten to know a little bit because she worked there and, you know, her interaction of coming up and asking how I was and, you know, and just treating me with that level of respect and care made a huge difference. I mean, you know, and, and that was the interaction. It didn't last particularly long. Um, and you no, know, I'm off doing what I'm doing. She's off doing what she's doing. And there you go. So you never know. You never know. I've been, we've been having a grand time talking, but we invited Krista in and then put her to sleep here, I think. Are you sleeping? I'm awake. Okay. <laughs> I'll move around. <laughs> okay. Now, I'm just reflecting on what everyone's saying, you know, and, and I have to say, Mike, um, you and I share a very special connection because I too was at Chit Chat back in the 90s. Wow. That's wow. Yeah, <laughs> gives me chills. Um, yeah, and that you know, I, I, I uh, can identify with what you were talking about and how you were describing the kind of a place that it is. Um, it's it was the first place that I felt validated as the um, the daughter of an alcoholic. And as I was at that time struggling myself with alcohol, um, I've sort of been able to, to understand that part of my life in a little bit of a different way as I've grown into myself and after having a near-death experience and the healing that happened after that in my life. Um, but chit chat was a place where I made connections with people where I was heard for the first time, I believe. I felt that I was heard for the first time. Um, that I was, I was loved, truly loved for the first time by complete strangers. Um, but I felt, I felt accepted for who I was, you know, completely. So I, when you said, when you mentioned chit chat, I just kind of like, <laughs> wow. Um, but that brought up that, that whole idea of connection and, and we were just talking about it. You know, when we are able to be free of resistance, um, be in a space of love, compassion, true caring for the other person that is picked up 
you know, quantumly. And it's, um, I think it was, I, I think it was Mike, the other the person that I don't see on the screen right now. And I, I haven't officially met him yet, but the, the gentleman that was just speaking about the connection and, and um, you know, it's, it's very simple to make and it. And, and I, I have experienced that and the transformation that can happen in my, not only myself um, having, you know, a, a, you know, struggling with something or having a rough time with something and somebody showing up for me, but in being that for somebody else and the mutual healing that can take place in those moments. And it does require, for me, it requires a level of self-awareness um, and that had to be cultivated uh, over time, over linear, you know, linear time that we experience here. But ultimately, you know, stripping everything else away, it's about love and sharing love. Absolutely. It's about, it's what it is to be in love. Mm -hmm. Thanks for sharing the connection there, Krista. I appreciate it. And, uh, and you're right. I mean, I was so much looking back that that was very transformational for just what you had mentioned. And, and Jeff, just your, your commentary is perfect. It's, it's really the summary. Um, and Krista just put it in her own words in terms of what to do. Because as I see it, you know, we're out either, Wayne Dyer said, is, is make a choice every day. Do we walk with our ego or do we walk with our God? And, you know, God obviously for him represents the, the, the love and things, um, you know, as well. And, and I think describes it because is when you're out there in ego, you'll judge, right? You'll see these things, you'll be bitter, you'll be angry, you'll be pissed off, right? I mean, just we see that all throughout the world today, you know, but when we're in love, we see it through a whole different lens. And, and I shared this uh, to Jeff before, and it was a perfect occurrence because Jeff himself and I, I shared on this session, uh, on, on one of these sessions, just my gratitude to Jeff, because we were at a conference. And here is Jeff just really being this magnificent male, very spiritual, doing uh, massage and things. And I had signed up at one point, I, I told him this is uh, to, for his massage. And I was so scared, nervous, because I had never let another male come close to my body ever since my past and the abuse. And I still feel a tears today just in saying this, this is how Jeff did it with such love, kindness and empathy and the questions and the setting up front and who he was that was another angel for me at that time to really just experience you know, love at a very different level. So once again, thank you, uh, Jeff, for, for being in that circumstance, because it was exactly what you're talking about in terms of what you did for me that day. Thank you. And, and again, it, it, you know, that points up because we never know what someone brings to an interaction. We just don't know. 
And, and uh, for me, I've come to realize I don't need to know. All I need to do is love them as best I can in that moment. And that varies. Sometimes it's, you know, I mean, I did a talk the other day and I'm like, did anyone record this? I'd like to hear it. That was great. <laughs> and there's other times when it's just like, it's all, you know, I'm, I'm just loving you the best I can. Because I know that's what works. And it's all I, it's, it's, it's all I need to do. Well, I heard the talk and um, it was at, <laughs> at Floyd Fest, right? Your, right. your lecture there. <laughs> and um, it was, was good. Uh, and I could see the people in the group. That it was um, a freeform sort of dance space that we played in, kind of open. And people were scattered about here and there. And you could just tell um, from looking at the people, because I was kind of sitting where I was kind of looking at you sideways and had a peripheral view of the people there. You can tell when something is touching someone because there's an agreement, there's a, a nodding or a kind of, a, a, you know, attentiveness to what's being said and the questions that came from that, um, that it did have an effect and was, and, and so recording it, yeah, I mean, maybe it'd be great to listen to it again, but, but the recording is the Akashic recording. It's the, it's the, right the record that we all that's ingrained in us you know it's it's uh, we're the encoding you know that goes into a, to a person who that does affect and there were how, i don't know how many people were there uh, exactly but it's a bunch it was recorded <laughs> let's just put it that way <laughs> it was recorded and and will be used and have an effect so just to give you a little feedback on that. Thank you. <laughs> isn't, that, isn't that the best way? I mean, uh, we came up in conversation the other day. We were um, up in Syracuse um, and we were taken around to a, a place that, well, I definitely haven't been to and you hadn't been to uh, Green Lakes by our, our host. Um, and we were talking about this, um, the difference between filming something on your phone or taking pictures on your phone and actually watching the thing that you, you came there to watch and how much you miss, you know, a lot of people that they're sort of, oh, I better capture this on my phone so I can watch it. <laughs> and they don't actually watch the thing that they, uh, that they're sort of like, they, they miss it. They miss the magnificence of it. Um, and I find that, yes, I do take some pictures sometimes um, but I would much prefer to take it in myself. My eyes are the best lenses uh, and my heart's the best record of, um, you've just said it perfectly with the Akashic taking in of these events. And sometimes that more um, sort of is, is much more uh, fruitful than having a, a hard copy, which um, sort of doesn't seem to have the same resonance um, afterwards. Mm -hmm. So it behooves us to try 
to come from that place in all of our activities. Whether you make it or not or something, you have the, like Jeff said, sometimes you wish it was recorded and sometimes you go, well, I did the best I could. But it behooves us to work toward that, where that comes from. Yeah, we come back to the authentic message again, to speak authentically, to, to speak from where you are and be real. Yeah. And, and that, rea that realness or that authenticity of love, even if it's clumsy, <laughs> you know, which it can be, yeah. um, carries and, and computes and is felt, you know, sometimes it's the awkwardness that actually is felt more intensely, you know, the awkwardness in, in your expression of love can be just as, as powerful as the best speech you've ever given, you know? Right, it can convey the authenticity of the, of the moment, the, the, the search for the expression of it. And, and you're talking about love, and I was just thinking that that is the best expression that we can have is one of love. And being as authentic as we can be and being our true selves lends itself to us, instead of coming from a basis of fear, coming from a basis of love. And it makes it easier to be on the wavelengths of love and give love. That was actually the, the topic of our of our workshop that we did <sighs> the night. Exactly that. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, kind of circling around a little bit to what we had discussed as as you know, the fear of success. Um and versus love and just to give my own sort of example um, of my process in that over the course of a little over eight years working in the emergency room i started off as a novice in the emergency room i was a pa for many years but i never worked in the er and it's a as you would imagine the er is um, there's a male dominant energy and I experienced the, you know, nth degree of it three days into my, my, you know, my third shift that I worked. And it was such an, uh, a, a powerful male energy directed at me. Um, I wasn't used to, and I wanted to leave. I wanted to grab my stuff and say, see you all later. I don't belong here. Clearly I'm leaving, but I didn't. I stayed because I knew, <clears throat> excuse me, that that place had lessons for me. And <clears throat> the lesson was that I learned over many years was that I could maintain my feminine, what's considered feminine, which is really, it's also masculine in my estimation, but, but a fem my feminine energy of being loving and kind to people, 
um, without being um, forceful about things, without pushing my agenda too, too roughly, like what was going on around me. Um, and I, and that was a, a balance, a delicate balance that I would have to achieve every shift in order to, you know, to feel like I had a good shift. And I, I watched myself grow as an individual in, in that place, in that environment where, to the point where I was able to maintain my peace and just observe everything else going on around me, the chaos and going around, going on with other people around me and not, not take it on and not be a part of it, just observe it. And, um, and I ultimately left there a very changed person. You know, the emergency room hadn't changed at all. I changed and, and I was, I brought with me so many important lessons um, and I still, you know, find myself sometimes feeling the sort of push, the sort of, well, or pull to dip back into that masculine kind of energy at times in, in certain, in certain environments, usually having to do with work. Um, but I'm able to, to sort of stay where I am in terms of, um, of maintaining my own my own uh, vibration, my own energy, and and not dipping down, not falling back into the this role that I I was in for so many so long before I became aware and able to manage my manage myself, manage my energy, and and grow more love in the that environment. So that's to me that's something that was a goal of mine that I was able to achieve. And that, um, you know, would I have, have achieved it sooner or later or in another environment? I don't know, but, but that, was my, that was my path. You know, and the people that I met, the, the people that I was able to, I know, influence in a positive way to, that I know changed the course of their life being in that environment. I know that that happened and <clears throat> I carry that with me in my heart. Um, and sometimes I see them at the grocery store, <laughs> you know, <laughs> sometimes I do get to find out <laughs> how they did. Yeah. Nice. That's quite a, that's quite a treat to, uh, to run into someone later and, and, hear that you were helpful to them oh we cry in the aisle oh. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> like oh yeah isn't that the perfect expression of um the, the very loving nature of, of caring um in whatever capacity whether it's a, in an office whether it was a massage whether it's doing what i do now whether it's been a you know, a, a police officer in some very delicate circumstances, sometimes it's a case of wherever you find yourself, there are, there are always those moments which um, help define us and help define other people. Um, and it's, it's just nice to have that genuine interaction. 
um, and and just see that reflected in other people. Mm -hmm. And that's the most wonderful thing when um, you know you can see an exact reflection of yourself in someone else, and you can you know when you when you see that smile, it's that that's your smile smiling back at you. Um, and I just think it's it's one of one of life's many sort of treasured gifts. Mm -hmm. And like Krista said, you just carry it around in your heart. And um, we, we, we're not meant to carry many things with us, um, but that's one of the things that we do get to hold on to. Um, it's just the sort of loving interactions. And um, like we said before about it being um, recorded akashically, they're those things that we want to um, perhaps reread when we get to those life reviews. And, <laughs> and um, you know, it's a case of, this is the part of the book that I really want to read. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, maybe we can rerun the life reviews, <laughs> record the life review. <laughs> Watch that over and over again. <laughs> That's those really awkward moments. <laughs> yeah. We laugh at ourselves. Yeah. Is there a forward button on that? <laughs> or an edit button. <laughs> <laughs> Trim <laughs> out this little piece here and just let that go. <laughs> but you but you lose the lessons you learned from it. If you cut something out, there's less of you. Right. If you've worked your way through it, you have that to, to use in the future. Well, you kind of edit your life, really. I mean, you're forward, going forward because yeah. of some of those things that you realize in, in that process of realization, you realize that there's some changes I need to make. And, and so, and since you do have an edit button, um, you know. You edit, you, yeah, you edit the life you're living, but you, you right. don't, as we're joking, take right. that piece out of the Akashic No, covers. no, 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 that, not. There's lessons <laughs> in that. Absolutely. Let me just say this. I thank God that I did not stop maturing when I was in my thirties. <laughs> <laughs> I always thought by the time you're, you know, approaching, you hit 30, you're a grown up, you know, everything and, and yeah. you have it all together. Now, 40 years later, I'm going, eh, man, <laughs> <laughs> ah, yeah. oh, no, that's not it. <laughs> You know, Krista, going back to your example of being in the ER and by the way, great self-awareness, right? To be able to recognize the, the male energy, which, you know, I, I appreciate hearing that because that's what I heard over and over again from females in corporate America. You know, it's so dominated by the male energy that one of my biggest quests was to attempt to influence leaders to sort of do the opposite, to go into places where there's more of the female energy to understand it. But there was so much ego related to that being the way. And of course we've grown up, we've learned it, named it John Wayne and so on and so forth here. But I think the greatest opportunity for many men today would be to be able to go into you know the female energy and learn to understand that and be able to bring pieces of that in here i've i've met 
a couple of men who I would say very successfully did that. And their reputation as a leader skyrocketed, their ability as a leader skyrocketed. And what they really did, they said some of the things they really learned was, was that people just wanted to be recognized as people. And that the male typical way as we teach everything is, is that employees were an asset, right? So we're an intangible asset and it's a way to be able to keep us afar, rule over us, uh, do as we will with them. Uh, but one of the things he realized from really working with a great woman leader was that she recognized everybody as a human being. And, and it baffled him. He had never, never thought about it that way. And that in itself really changed the essence of what it was. The other thing that's very often commented is, is that we are our world today needs to operate with collaboration so much more effectively, right? We see that just with the pandemic, every country was out for themselves, fending for themselves. We were unable to work together, except in a few occasions, uh, the whole concept of coming up with the, um, the vaccine, I think was a result of Operation Warp or something like that, that apparently you know, was a very collaborative environment and allowed us to get a vaccine out in record time but that things like collaboration and other things are, is also typically acquainted with the more feminine side of things versus the more competitive side. So I just would love to see your situation in reverse for many men being able to experience and learn from that. One day we will. I firmly believe that. I, I feel that the generations coming up um, are much more aware and that they also see the value in collab being more collaborative and in, in valuing the individual. And um, yeah, yeah, I, I, I feel that that's, that's our future. In balance. In balance. I think there's yeah. the, um, I know that a few years ago there was this uh, great belief that there was a there was going to be a, a shift and change in the guard so um we had a, a matriarchal to patriarchal which is where we're at at the moment and then there was a lot of women shouting about the fact that the sort of the, um, the time of man is over and you know we're going to go back to this very matriarchal um perspective as well and uh, my feeling towards that was that uh, it, it's more about finding the divine balance if you look at the yin and yang they don't, they don't just represent one thing, they represent each other. So the yang has yin in it, yin has yang in it, and there's a balance to them and then they flow together. Um, and when you've got that balance within yourself, then um, you know everything makes a lot more sense. And I probably, um, the, the most influential people in my life um, for uh, leadership have been women, starting with my mother and going through the, the jobs that I've had, the, um, the best, um, bosses, managers, and and uh, things have been women, just simply because of what you said that they um, are more able to um, see collaboration and see people as individuals and get to know their names and know something about them, so that when they look at them, there isn't that blank stare of oh, um, uh, you you over there. It's a case of that you know they know you by your first name, they know who your wife is, or or something like that. And there's that that moment where you have someone who's in that position that you, you look up to then, because it's like, wow, they actually have taken the time to know something about me. 
And I really appreciate that. Um, and it then for me personally, it's carried through. I like to uh, I like to know that as a manager now, um, people feel the same way is that I'm um, sort of affable enough um, and open enough for them to um, come to with problems, but also that um, I, I've got the uh, sense of a leader whereby if I need to be listened to, then they can also do that as well. But not from a masculine perspective, I don't demand respect. It's a case of uh, we're all equal in the sense that um, to achieve anything, we've all got to work together. And that's definitely been from the uh, uh, female influence that I've had. Yeah, that's fantastic. And I know we're closing in the end of the time. I'll share a quick story and then uh, Chris or Hensley or anybody, if they have some closing thoughts, just a quick story to represent what you had just mentioned there, Ainsley, as is in my leadership training. I always share this story because it is so incredibly influential. And it was uh, working in a call center environment. And so there, nobody wants a career in a, in a, in a call center. And uh, so we, you know, it was very common to have 80, 90% turnover. And I came in and that was my, my goal objective hired me was to be able to reduce it since it was such a cost to the turnover problem. And so I first went out to collect data from all the departments looking at their turnover rate and 99% of them were at uh, 96, 97%. Uh, and there were a couple of departments that were the opposite, four and 5%. And I thought for sure they had to be different. So I went out there and long story short, there was a woman at the helm in this one department, same call center, same function as everybody else did. And I, and I had asked her, I said, why is your, uh, your turnover rate so low compared to everybody else? And she goes, well, that's simple. I attribute that to some leadership training I just recently took. And, and uh, one of that was uh, uh, Kenneth, Blanch Kenneth Blanchard is the one minute manager. And he said, this is that if you could just spend one minute with each of your employees every day. And he goes, the thing I'd really suggest is, is that to learn about the personal life, you know, we tend to, to, you know, to tell people to park your real life outside, but I really suggest doing it. So she did, she goes, I did. Well, lo and behold, came to realize this is that 80% of the workers are single moms that are struggling in their uh, life at home financially with kids, kids being sick, having no place to leave them and unfortunately being terminated because of attendance issues. I've got students here because the students are the ones who wanna come in here. These, these jobs offer flexible time so they can work around their class schedules. Uh, and there was one other grouping uh, that was there, I forget at the moment. And so I said, well, what do you do? She goes, well, I'm just on the tour right now. So you want to come out and watch me? And so I said, sure. And she said, walked up, hey, you know, Mary, whatever her name is, says, Mary, how's it going? You know, how's it going today? You know, good. And says, hey, last week, you know, you told me about uh, struggle dealing with some of your finances. I I'd suggested meeting with, with Sarah over there. Oh, yeah, I met with Sarah. She's really helped me. Really good, good. And so what else is, what else can I help you with today? You know, is there anything else there as well? Yeah, I do have a problem coming up, you know, such and such. Okay, good. Well, I'm going to make that note right here and I'll come back to the end of the day and we'll, we'll talk and we'll talk about it and figure out a solution. And she literally did that. And there was about a minute to a minute and a half per person. 
And then I met afterwards with the employees. I said, well, let me just hear from them, their perspective on all of this. Well, guess what the most common phrase was? Oh, Beth, a manager, we love her. She really cares about us, you know? And so as a result, their loyalty back to her was just a natural response to the fact that she just simply cared about them, cared about their personal lives, realizing if I can help make the personal lives easier, I can make it easier on them. And then as a result, they'd be there fully on board and doing their work. And she just had this unbelievable you know, just results from the whole thing. So we ended up modeling that whole thing across the company. And I was a hero then because we had made this big impact on, on uh, turnover when in fact she was a real hero because she had really modeled it, uh, lived it. And she was the primary teacher in our classes telling that story. But it just goes to show is, is that here's the case of, of the cold, stern business settings many of us are in today. Uh, and here's how one woman with a very simple little concept put it to work You're and made up, this Michael. huge difference. Oh, done anyways. <laughs> Poor Michael. Hold it for one minute now. <laughs> Just keep, hold that thought. There was so much energy in what you were saying, the internet couldn't convey it. That's all right. It was it's the it, universe. It occurred. The universe telling me to shut up. So. <laughs> hold no. that thought. I think we were all knowing where you were going, you know, because it makes so much sense. That story was very very encapsulating of what we've been talking about of the moment taking taking just that moment to to take to focus on a person and their well-being to love them uh that that can apply to any facet of our life you know and every facet of our life every moment that that's the way to live take take a moment for everyone we come in contact with to love them yeah I think it was also nice with that story with uh, how you conveyed it with the fact that you were given the responsibility to look at the high turnover rate and rather than um, doing an equation and doing the manly thing of I'm going to sit in an office, I'm going to figure this out myself. Mm -hmm. You've actually gone, I'm going to go and see what's going on. I want to see what, what the, um, you know, why you're asking, you're asking the question outside of the box. Um, and then she was the why and you were able to see that because you were open to it. Um, whereas, you know, it might be that you've decided to take it another way and just sit in your office and, and sort of scribble on bits of paper and throw them into the, into the trash and not really come up with anything that anyone else hasn't come up with before. Um, so because you've allowed to have your eyes opened um, and have gone and seen, it's like, there we go. The answer is already there. The universe has already presented you with this perfect answer because this person decided to go on this course and has decided to employ that. And then she's given you the answer and you've gone, ah, oh, bingo, there we go. And that's how, that's just how the universe works. It's like the answer's already there. Yeah, it's... We got it? 
<laughs> well, okay, Richard, give us the clothes. <laughs> Honest to God, I think you guys just did. It, it all comes under that, uh, what was that? Who was that guy who told us to love one another? You know, someone was out there saying that some time ago. And this is what we seem to have all been talking about, is just being willing to love one another, yourself and others. And I thank you all for doing that. I think that's the work we really need. We just need to clone our clone this. <laughs> <laughs> Spread the word. Spread. Throw those mustard seeds out there. <laughs> we were just singing about that earlier. Yeah. Hey Jeff, by the way, great to see you back. Ah, it's good to yeah, see you. Yes. Yep. And everybody, thank you. So Krista Ansley, thank you so much, really, for being involved. Please, please join us anytime. You've just got wonderful uh, stories, experience, and you know, just would love to hear more from you. So feel free to join in anytime. Thank you. We'd love to. Awesome. Thank you. All right, everybody. Hello. <laughs> Till next time. Hold on, Mike. End the, go ahead and end the recording. <laughs>